Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two MFA friends talk writing craft. What do we do this episode, Ben? On this episode, we are going to talk about B.R. Yeager's short story, Roman Soldier, from his collection, his newest collection, Burn You the Fuck Alive, also previously published in NDA and Auto Fiction's anthology. Um, It is a story uh, about the insecurities that young men feel uh, surrounding their emotions and their physical bodies and their inability to express them and how that those feelings often simmer inside of people to the point of violence as they do in this story. Um, it's an excellent, scary, sad time and we talk about the way that B.R. Yeager so successfully captures what it feels like to be a young person in this in that moment, that, that odd simmering edge where you don't know what your feelings are or how to express them, but they're inside of you and they're going to find their way out one way or another. Yeah, and I think it's a particularly fun episode for, well, not fun, uh, on character motivation and um, exploring unlikable characters or motivations that you think might be icky um, that you've outgrown perhaps as mm-hmm. uh, character motivation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, enjoy everyone. Enjoy. Recording. Emily. <laughs> it's Ben and Emily. <laughs> it's Ben and Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two writer friends talk about writing craft. Speaking of writing craft, how's writing been? Ooh, you know, it it's did been it. okay. I, I came I out did swinging. Some. Oh, yeah, did you really? Came out right in the heat. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not... It's not a lot. Uh, it's been a while since we last recorded. I went through a dip on writing for a while there. I, I wasn't as responsibilities ramped up at the job, but I've just been doing the 15 minutes a day thing again. Just find, it, It's impossible for me to tell myself I can't do that for the most part, so I, I'm good about getting about you know three, four days a week where I actually do that. So That's a good line, and maybe one that I will take one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are you getting anything cool out have you written anything Uh, that you good are yeah um no (laughs) um i'm 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 very slowly editing a piece um a short piece and we'll see it it might I, i think it needs two more drafts and then it's publication time so we'll we'll see what happens with it um, but yeah, it's, it's something and, and I don't mind, it, I, it's one that feels okay to tinker with. Like every time I go back to tinker with it, I feel like I have new ideas for it. So yeah. no, that's a really good sign. Uh, very, very good sign. I endorse. Yeah. Mm. So you, nunzo on right. So, uh, near the nunzo on the right. So, and that's okay. Yeah. I keep telling myself yeah. I'll get back in it any minute. I think I might take mm-hmm. on your 15 minutes, at least 15 minutes, at least half of the week. Uh, line that seems very manageable for those of you who are new to the good writing podcast ben and i had a faculty member at our mfa program the poet becca mckay who said her advice to mfa graduates was uh write at least 15 minutes every day if you get in the groove and want to keep going that's amazing and if you don't that's okay you still wrote today and that'll keep you in the habit keep you feeling like you are a writer as in someone who Mm -hmm. writes Mm -hmm. exactly 
Because right? that, that is the, the main feeling that I feel that I am combating more than anything else in the, those times. It's like, well, how am I going to call myself a writer if I'm not actually, you know, doing it? Um, a great question. Yeah. I've simply stopped calling myself that. <laughs> uh, uh, but you still are, Emily. You, we, it, it, ever having written, I think, makes you a writer. Um, I'll take it. I'll run with it. Yeah. <laughs> And besides, if nothing else, you are a consummate critic, as you are here on the Good Writing Podcast to discuss topics of craft and criticism, which uh, is always available. Yeah. Look at that segue from that from my dearest co-host Ben Kearns. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's me. And today, I guess we should just get right into it. I guess we are about that time. Um, let us, unless you have anything else you wish to address before we go into things, we can just run headlong into the Roman soldier. I think there's a lot to talk about here, but. Oh, statements to the world that I have to make urgently. <laughs> let me think. That's true. Not one. I got nothing. No. Keep on keeping on, kids. Uh. This, this, this is our missive to the to the masses that, that we send out to the whoever the kind strangers are and kind people that we know that listen to this podcast uh, in its very uneven schedule. Our, um, the, this our is friend the, JP. The little scoop. Yeah. We've, we've mm-hmm. got our friend JP and we've mm-hmm. got at mm-hmm. least two people in Germany. And we used mm-hmm. to have someone in North Dakota, but I like to tell myself that they moved to California. Hey, there we go. There we go. Uh, among others, I assume. I haven't checked our stats in a while, but I know that we don't do awful, question mark. Um, we do pretty good, actually. Surprisingly yeah, good. Cool. Cool. Good. Well. Oh, wait. No, Ben, I do have something. Oh, my God. I can't yes. believe I almost forgot. I oh, decided to not text this to you. I decided we're going to wait until we're recording this, and we're gonna, I will okay. get his reaction live and oh, on shit. the air. Oh. Are you ready? Oh, amazing. I, I am stoked. Yeah. Ben, are you familiar with the name of our podcast? The yes, Good, Good Writing, Writing Podcast? podcast. Yeah. Ben, in your mind, what is the good modifying? Uh, writing, correct? Yeah. We're talking yeah. about writing that we think is good. Yes. Did you know that some people look at our podcast name and think that we're conceitedly calling ourselves the only writing podcast that is good? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Did someone come for us in the mentions? The, no, I just, the... <laughs> like, it, I was, like, talking out loud with an acquaintance about it and, yeah. and realized, like, they were like, oh, damn, you're confident. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Yeah, we're the good writing podcast. I mean, accurate. Um, <laughs> wrong. But... Completely wrong. There's tons. Um, damn, Ben came out swinging this week. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's great to realize that yet again I've stumbled into sounding like a narcissist. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Good. I, I'm glad that that is the case. <laughs> Sorry, yet again, is there a little story you want to share there? Oh, no, I just fear that I... I fear whenever I speak that I sound like I'm completely up my own asshole. Um, <laughs> that's just... <laughs> I think how I relate to the world. Um, Why did... What what originated... Sorry, not to turn this into oh, a... No, a, that's fine. We, we can do talk therapy. <laughs> Go also... ahead. I'm unlicensed. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Me too. Um, but um, yeah, no, it, it's definitely just, a, I think, a feeling like, I, I think I worry about it a, a, in many ways coming out of academia. Um, mm. it, it's a thing of, I fear that when I talk, I am 
over talking and maybe over explaining things to people that already understand them i think that's just a flaw in my speech patterns um but yeah and, and i just fear that i come off as someone that's very full of themselves and very like overly assured of their opinions and, and whatnot because I, I admit that in some ways i definitely am but um yeah it, it's more something like that yeah that's interesting. That's not my impression of you at all. And I'd say I'd know you medium well. Um, <laughs> is there, was there someone in academia, like, do you, did, did you see that happen all the time? And you were like, oh my God, I don't want to be like that guy. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I think mm-hmm. it, it, it's, you know, like being a white man joining an MFA program. Like, I think there's a certain stereotype that carries itself with that. And like, you don't like, I very much was like, oh, God, I really don't want to be that guy in the room. Like, I don't want to be that guy during workshop. I don't want to be that guy in, like, conversations with friends. Like, I just don't want to sound like that. Yeah. That, um, the worst guy in your MFA program Twitter account, I think it was, Mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. It hurt you. Mm -hmm. It it cut you to your core. (laughs) Yeah. Or or if nothing else made me think, like, I want to avoid this. Like, I don't want to be the worst guy in my MFA program. (laughs) Yeah. Um... The self-awareness has, has done you well, because I don't have that impression of you at all. What are you, within writing spaces, what do you do to avoid coming off that way? Um, I think a lot of it is just trying to not talk a lot, like trying to maybe come in with one or two points I want to make, and then trying to just listen to points other people make and, you know, interpret that afterwards, I think is the way that, the easiest way to combat, combat that, yeah. So just being conscious of your, like, talk time, your talk ratio compared to other people? Yeah, exactly. And and making sure that the points I'm bringing in are reasoned and not, especially in terms of workshop, trying not to be, like, intensely critical or if I am being critical of something, understanding the angle that I'm coming at it from and trying to couch that within a way to make sure that that criticism seems helpful like it comes from a place of goodness of wanting something to be better and not like from a place of just being critical like yeah Yeah. i think you've always really succeeded at that um i even as a not man um Mm -hmm. definitely have spoken too much in workshop and taken up more space than i ought to have and um that's something that i've had become conscious of too is just like talking over others and trying not always succeeding but trying to not do that um i think yeah it's it's good to be aware but also like a level of self-awareness that is making you not have fun anymore is not healthy for anyone um Mm -hmm. i think within workshops um our mfa professor papatia papatia bujak uh had us always like start our feedback by just stating what we think the writer's intention was mm-hmm. and she talks I, I remember her talking about how that like gets people to really couch their feedback not in like what you think this piece ought to try to do but like what you think the writer was going for and like your any of your feedback positive or critical should be about did you accomplish your goal not my goal for your piece but your goal for your piece um and I, I, I think that that always helped me because you know, you know, I talked a lot in workshops, but I think that that, like, oh, you made a shrug face. I, I felt like I, I didn't. That you, I, I think that you talked in workshops. I think that you were good about talking in workshops, but I, I never thought of you as someone who I was like, wow, Emily's talking again. Like, I, I never <laughs> got the sense that you were just talking to talk. 
Like, I always thought you were either... Like, you had a lot to say, but I always felt like when you were speaking, you were making points, engaging in discussion, and never just, like, saying whatever, like, without regard to what anyone else was talking about. Um, yeah, I, I always thought... Like, I, I never thought you were an over-talker. I just thought you were, you know... As always, someone who is, like, a capable and, like, friendly person to be around, so you had things of interest to say. <laughs> like, yeah. Thanks, Ben. I like you, too, and I feel the same way about your workshop yeah. contributions. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, wow. Anyway, so just for clarity, the, the good in Good Writing Podcast is modifying the writing, and it's the podcast mm-hmm. is about writing that we think is good. <laughs> but we've completely lost the plot um, <laughs> completely lost of, the plot of, of where we're going so I, I will redirect us back to uh, today's uh, subject which is the short story uh, The Roman Soldier by B.R. Yeager um, and the version that I have sent you is from his latest collection Burn You the Fuck Alive but it was previously published in um, NDA an anthology of autofiction Mm. Um, which is uh, where it was originally published. I don't know if the version there was different. I don't think it was, but that, that is where this originally came up, which I think adds an interesting layer. To yes, this, it does. That it was published in an autofiction <laughs> anthology. Yeah, I- I- exactly. Like so. We'll, yeah, that's we'll, that's we'll, an interesting detail, which we will circle back on after we describe the content of the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which we can, and now knowing that you probably know, well, I can tell which part was definitely fiction, um, <laughs> being that there was a story that was written and not uh, nothing, <laughs> um, <laughs> and not just a newspaper clipping about this death. Um, yeah. Wait, before we go into the story, can I just refresh the audience on B.R. Yeager? Yeah, our, our friend of the pod, yeah. Friend of the pod, B.R. Yeager, is one of Ben's favorite writers. He mostly writes mm-hmm. horror, and he came, we did an episode, because um, Ben has the weirdest taste I've ever experienced. Um, uh, B.R. Yeager wrote a game, with skeptical face here, yeah. uh, called Pearl Death. Where he basically, he wrote like, um, it, it looks like a card game and it just has like a different, it's just a really cool concept, a different like little um, like world building, piece of world building, like description of an item in a fantastical world on each mm-hmm. card. Um, and you can kind of like, based on the order that you draw the cards, like create a different narrative from the game. Um, and it was one of the most weird, one of the weirdest formats that I've ever experienced. Uh, yeah. And we did uh, we did an episode on Pearl Death per Ben's, uh, because Ben loves it, and he bought bought everything from the publisher that created Pearl Death, that put out Pearl Death. And then uh, B.R. Yeager just like listened to the episode and then emailed us, and then mm-hmm. he came on the pod, and we had a really lovely episode with him too. So if you would like to pause yeah. us and or after this episode, if you'd like to become an expert on B.R. Yeager, we'll link our previous episodes about him here. Yeah. Excellent. But yes, we, we returned. Th- this is, I think, the first author that we've gone to a second time for a piece on the show as well, I believe. So I think that, so. We, yeah, that, that is. I don't know if that's some sort of challenge coin for B.R. Yeager that we'll have to send him. But, um, you know, it, it does show that I, I, I'm a big fan of the work that he produces. And thank you to him for coming on the show when he did. Really great guy. But, but yeah. So would we like to just get into this? Oh, have I been lagged away into you've been, oblivion? You've been completely paused for like a yeah. full okay, cool. 20 seconds. Cool. I'll clip this moment, um, but yeah, that uh, I'll just 
clip this to the point where we were talking. But yeah, do you want to get into the story? Yes, let's get into the story. Cool. Excellent. All right, so the um, do you want me to just give a brief overview first, and then we can get into our thoughts on what, um, you know, basically I can get your first impression on this? Do it, I dare you. Yeah, okay. So the Roman soldier uh, concerns a group of young men. We have our narrator, whose name is... Is he nameless? I don't think he is. Um, let's see. Uh, he... I think he might be, actually. I'm not sure. I, I realize now that, that I don't think that they ever say his name to him. They may at some point. I might find that and correct this. There's... Um, but yeah. The, the main mm-hmm. three are him, Seth, and Afrin. Yeah. And then two more guys come in at the end. Yeah, yeah Roy um, and Brian show up. Yeah, like, who are the other two I don't, guys? I don't think our narrator yeah. gets named. Yeah. So we have our nameless narrator. Um, it is his birthday when this starts out. He li- they live in a western in Westfield, which is a small, kind of industrially depressed Massachusetts town, a uh, place that is not going well for at the time of the writing of the story. Um, there, from there, it's our narrator's birthday. They he decides that he's maybe turning twenty, maybe twenty one, pretty early 20s kind of thing might even be like 19 younger than that um he's it's gonna be his birthday they go to an econo lodge to rent out a room with a jacuzzi because they think it would be funny to do so um they go to this econo lodge and kind of hang out there uh there's a fair amount of homoerotic tension between them that they battle off with each other through explicit homophobia um, then as they come together, they decide to perform this sexual act that they read about in a text file that they found online known as the Roman Soldier, where uh, one of the characters, Ephraim, places his uh, genitalia over the face of the narrator, and then when he brings them off, uh, when he brings the genitalia off, they murder the narrator brutally. And that's the bleak brief plot overview of this piece. Yeah things escalated yeah yeah and that all happens in the course of maybe like one page at the very end like this story is pretty like it's dark but it's not violent up until a moment of extreme violence at the very end um but yeah so what what did you think of this emily i'm very curious yeah okay so when ben sent me this he warned me um trigger warning homophobia and violence um, so going in knowing that this would happen, uh, Ben, this was really good. Like, yeah, this was really, really good. I, um, so I just like felt like it captured a version of like insecure masculinity that felt really real to me that I've like, don't, I, I you know, as I'm pretty far out of teenage boydom, <laughs> pretty far out of interacting with teenage boys. Um, that I just like had kind of forgotten about and this um, really, really captured it in a way that was believable and accurate. And um, I also felt like the violence wasn't totally out of nowhere for me um, because there were like real, like it it really does escalate quickly from like Mm -hmm. using slurs to actual using slurs and then like 
mm-hmm. talking about raping women as mm-hmm. a joke, air quotes, mm-hmm. escalating into like actual interpersonal violence. And it just felt really believable and to me. And yeah, it was abrupt how quickly it became, it moved to like actual physical violence. Um, mm-hmm. But it was to- still totally credible to me. Um, and then craft wise, um, I guess I, I hadn't read, you know, I'd only read Pearl Death from B.R. Yeager before this, so mm-hmm. I hadn't read any, like, prose from him or, like, extended prose mm-hmm. like this, and this is mm-hmm. a, a normal-length short story. Um, but holy shit, he's so good at pacing. Um, yeah. The, like, sentence-length variety was really, really, really good for me, which I shouldn't surprise me because I know you've, you've said before he primarily writes horror and, like, that's so huge in horror and comedy is, like, mm-hmm. pacing, but, like, I was just, like, mm-hmm. really blown away by it. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agreed on all of that. Like, yeah. And, and the the thing that I am really like, you know, the core of this story is, like you said, that very real, like, adolescent, the like, late adolescent into early adulthood, like, feelings of male insecurity that are absolutely central to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is the thing that I think impresses me most about what he does here. But absolutely, his pacing is just on point, like, like you said. Um, but yeah, like the, that was the thing that I kind of want to talk about is the way that he writes youth in this. Ooh. That's the kind of thing that I want to like kind of center in on a little bit for today's discussion. It, it's just the way, the things that he does to make these people feel like real young people. And, and to a very extent, you know, like I was never had an experience like this personally. I was never this, but that insecurity that insecure masculinity is something that I definitely personally relate to on a certain level. I remember, you know, times when I was a worse person than I am now, like, and have said things that I regret saying that were too different than what gets said in this when I was maybe in high school or something Mm -hmm. like that. But it's just like, I think what he captures so well about that, that all of that comes, like, all of that hatred comes from such a misplaced, like, place of fear and, like, a, a inability to express something larger. Mm. Like, which for these characters is very much, like, a repressed kind of, like, love for one another. Like, at some point, the narrator talks about kissing the other character, Ephraim, while they're drunk at a party. But, like, he plays it off like he was making a joke, but it very clearly wasn't a joke to either of them, it seems like, for the most part. Like, Mm -hmm. they they both have this simmering, like, desire right under the surface, and it just, like, manifests in all this rage. And you only, it's in first person, so you only get that from the narrator's head, but I think when you look at the other characters, you can feel it happening inside of them, too even though you aren't directed there. And I think the ending kind of culminates all of that because you see it suddenly made surface level and that that just that gorgeous final paragraph uh, uh, of this piece uh, after they've committed the murder, after they've killed the narrator. And this, I don't know, I, I reread this final paragraph and it like it, it made me tear up today. Like there's something so like wow. living about this po- moment to me. Like the 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 unsureness and the the how scared everyone actually is at the end like it just it hit me really hard like I, I think that he does something really amazing in here yeah yeah hell yeah I really agree with that about like especially for these characters but also I do think that is a big motivation for 
most people's insecurities. Like, it's fear. It's fear of, like, not feeling accepted, loved, safe. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do it. I'm so on board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, if we're talking about, you know, the way that they... Let's just start with the basic premise at the very start of this, what they're doing. Like, uh, I'll read this, just this opening moment here. We did it as a joke. Renting the Westfield Econo Lodge jacuzzi room. A joke, but not really. And that is immediately one of those things that you only do when you're a dumb kid that doesn't really have bills to pay, <laughs> but but has money from a shitty job. Like, you know, you're, you're doing things that are expensive, like, as a joke, just because it would be funny for an audience of the three people you are going to hang out with that day anyway, so you're not impressing anybody. Yeah. Like, ugh. I just love this motivation of doing something you can say that it was ironic or that it was unserious. Um, I just, I think that's so juicy. Um, Another quote from that first page, uh, Ephraim, his friend, when he told, yeah, let's rent the, when the narrator tells him, I want to rent the Westfield Econo Lodge jacuzzi room. Mm -hmm. um, His friend stomped out a cigarette on the hardwood, giggling, making a goblin face. That's so fucking stupid. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. Like also one to say, a quote, I, I like it, I really like this, like, this um, quote is, would be negative in any, would sound negative in any other context, but it's actually a huge compliment, like, because mm-hmm. of how mm-hmm. it's delivered, so I I love uh, dialogue like that, um, yeah. where, like, the text is contrasted with how, how it's actually said, I think that's always fun, but, like, that's yeah. so freaking teenage boy to me, and, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I, so freaking teenage boy, and, um, to, to just, like, be like, that's so fucking stupid, let's do it. Yeah, exactly. It, it sucks, I love it. Like, that, yeah. that is the attitude there. Like, yeah, it, and that's that's something that is very much, like, one of those things that only can really happen when you're in that age, too. And, the, and I can point this out with a story um, where semi-recently uh, my I went, me and Fran went to St. Louis to see our buddy Chase and hang out with him and my friend David came with us and we're all just hanging out. Three of my friends from high school, David and Chase, um, the really good buds. Um, and we're hanging out and mostly just a regular vacation. But we decided that during this that we were going to do something ironically. We all bought tickets to the Shrek rave and we're like, oh, won't this be funny? Yeah. Here's the thing. When you're 30, you're tired. <laughs> and it's not fun to go do something just to do it for the sake of the name that it has. Like, that's a, that has no, se- like, we, when we went to it, said, like, let's never do something ironically ever again. And oh, my I God. I think we meant it. <laughs> like, you know, I'm <laughs> no. never going to, like, uh, you know, I also have a sense of irony, but it's just, like, I never want to spend money to go to something that I, like, out of the scope of maybe a movie like yeah it's like we go to this thing and it's like it's just a rave and none of us go to raves we're not the kind of people that go to a rave and have a good time at it like that's so out of character for so then we're just stuck there and i'm like okay i guess i'll go wait in this 20 minute line for a beer while the loudest remix of like (laughs) i will survive i've ever heard plays and a bunch of 
children are running around me having a good time because it's built for them and just like we stayed for 40 minutes and it's like what are we doing here let's leave <laughs> like <laughs> when you booked the shrek rave did mm. any part of you think rave could be fun i I think we were just enticed by the idea, the concept of it. We we weren't we only saw the Shrek part, I think, in our minds. We weren't really considering the fact that Rave was what was being modified by Shrek. Like we we just saw Shrek. we didn't realize that was the noun, not the adjective. So it it, it got like and then when we get there it's like, oh, they're literally just doing a rave. This thing's gonna be going until like four in the morning. Like yeah. <laughs> Do you, would you still have gone for the novelty? Like, I think there's a difference. I still do things for the novelty. I don't do things for irony mm-hmm. anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'll only do it yeah. if it sounds fun. But, like, yeah, it being something I've never done before is inherently appealing to me. So, like, the Shrek, I don't know, evening at the cl- night at the club would, would absolutely be novel and fun for me. I don't know if I'm a rave girly, though. Yeah, like, that's the thing. We're not club people either, you know? Like, that's just not, not the kind of thing for us. And it's just like, if this was like a Shrek jazz night, we would have had a great time at that. That would have been awesome. Like, you know? Or, or even if we had just gone to see, like, a showing of Shrek, like, I right. think we would have enjoyed that too. Like, that, that wouldn't have been a problem. Um, but just like, we realized that we were just doing something because we thought it would be funny to do much like the characters in this are doing this and just like that's something that i don't have the energy for as an adult and also i am discerning enough with my time and money to be like no i should have done something that i actually wanted to do with that time and money like which you don't have that when you're this age yeah 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 um yeah, seconding all of that. Also, okay, so just the final. I won't, we will come back Please. to the story. Um, have you bought earplugs yet? The like, the musician yes. style? Do you wear them for concerts yet? I do, depending on the concert. I, mm-hmm. I bought them specifically when I was going to go see Sun which is one of the loudest bands that plays like their whole thing is that they have a giant back wall of speakers. And I was like, well, I don't want to die. So I'm just going to wear earplugs to this. Like, yeah. And it was, it was a good idea. I made the right choice. So like if I'm going to a show and I know I'm going to be trying to get closer, absolutely. I'm going to be wearing earplugs. Um, okay. but at, to a festival, probably not like, uh, mm. Mm. okay. Yeah. How about you? I have purchased them. Um, I usually forget mm-hmm. to bring them, um, but I, mm-hmm. I recently saw Sasha Colby at Trax in Denver, and Sasha yeah. Colby's the winner of this past season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, cool. She's an amazing performer. She's a Ru girl because she was on RuPaul, um, but I would say that her fans are woo girls because they won't shut the fuck up. Um, so I wore earplugs knowing that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I said what I said. You know, I'll lose. I am fine having high-pitched ringing noise in my ears due to a band that I love, but I will not do it mm-hmm. for some somebody yelling woo in my, like, I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> that's fair. That's very fair. I, I think that, that that's a fair point of just being like, I, I'm not going to have it because someone screamed at me. But like, yeah. Yeah. The audience noise is not what I'm trying to lose it for. Yeah. 
anyway, okay. so that is also that feeling of like, as an adult, we just stop doing things for irony is also, by the way, in this short story, I'm going to quote it at you because I genuinely really like mm. the short story. Um, what page number is this? 352. Um, he is describing the woman at the desk at the Westfield Econo Lodge. Um, and she, he says she has a voice that had been choked, a collapsed voice, one that knew, deeply knew the world was ending, but you still got to pay bills. You still have to show up. Um, we weren't old enough to recognize how much we had in common with this woman. We still thought that our lack of franchise was temporary, that our best days were still in our futures, genuinely believing that one day, if we played our cards right, each day it would be as carefree and joyous as this one. Um, yeah, he's recognizing... A different, placing it for a different reason, but he's recognizing that only kids do things for ironic reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think that sense of, like, frivolity is definitely there as part of, like... Because this story does a really good job of showing, like, the beautiful aspect of being this way and also the horrifying aspect of it. Like, mm. I think we spoke of... I, I think the, the showcases of the terror... Like, that that is the the main thrust of this, and what I think Jaeger is trying to do with the piece is to show you the, the kind of horribleness that falls out of this kind of repressed attitude that comes in with these characters. Mm-hmm. But I think it's only possible for him to show you that fully is through that contrast against these feelings of frivolity and lightness and of, like... Gen- a form of genuineness that these characters have with one another and at the very least their genuine desire to be liked by one another mm-hmm. is very clear because they're tr- like because then we get you know on the narrator talking about himself and kind of giving you his character on page 350 when he says everything I'd ever done was for someone else's enjoyment like yes. that paragraph yeah yeah like that's all part of it is that they want so badly to be liked but can't just ask for that in a healthy way we should read more of that paragraph it's just really good okay everything i'd ever done was for someone else's enjoyment in third grade i stuffed my fingers down my throat forcing a stream of puke leftover hot and sour soup from chinese takeout onto the lunch table the cafeteria came to life with disgust and awe When I was 12, I told the drama club I jacked off 10 times a day. A lie. I hadn't once successfully masturbated, still unsure of the the mechanics, of the necessary vigor to let the white out. It was a gift to them, something for them to joke about. Two years later, I'd tell my closest circle about the watermelon I hollowed out and fucked. Another fabrication. I still didn't understand masturbation, and wouldn't until after high school. They gleefully tormented me about this for years. Like, that paragraph brings in that insecurity too that we're talking about that deep held Uh Uh yeah go ahead i mean the next paragraph too he says Mm -hmm. like and this this is part of why i like freaking really loved this is i think br yeager does such an amazing job of capturing worldview um so the narrator says people won't keep you close out of love but destroying yourself letting others destroy you it keeps them from hating you completely now that is a hell of a worldview. Um, and I think in the section that you read, it's something that stands out for me is like, he's doing everything for other people's enjoyment, but it's not like necessarily easy mm-hmm. joy that he's gifting to them. Like he's d- gifting mm-hmm. them disgust, amusement, mm-hmm. awe, um, mm-hmm. 
like scandal. Um, and it's just interesting how ugly the gift of the kind of joy he gives is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, just this debasement, like, uh, of that can only come from this, like, which, like, you, what you said about worldview brings that together perfectly because it shows that, like, but destroying yourself, letting others destroy you, it keeps them from hating you completely. This is a person who, like, wants so badly to be liked, but loves themselves so little they can't even conceive of being liked. They can mm-hmm. only conceive of having incomplete hatred directed toward them. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that is such a, like, brutal way to exist. And therefore, from that, you know, they see themselves as this creature instead of a person. Like, and they don't... And they try to force that onto other people to view them as that creature as well, to the point of, like, making up rumors about themselves that are not flattering. Like... Yeah. Yeah. And I think it... I'm so glad that, like, we get that moment of clearly stated worldview, because if this narrator, if those events were told as a third person, who I don't hear his motivation for it about... I'd hate that guy. He'd be the weird ass, mm-hmm. like not even a bully, just like a weird mm-hmm. clown, self-effacing clown. Like <laughs> I would not yeah. like that that character, but because I get that worldview stated explicitly, like I'm really rooting for him and I get him. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, and that's like, it, you know, this sounds silly to say, but like that's like a real kind of person that I've met, you know? Like yeah. I, I've met guys like this, like, you know, especially... You know, I think I'd meet them when I was hanging out in Tallahassee as an undergrad. Like, there would be guys that, like, my friends would hang out with that were just kind of, like, these weird drunk messes who just kind of got off on people, like, making fun of them and hating them for the weird shit they said and did. Like, it's such a real thing that happens, especially in these small, depressed areas where people don't feel like they can quite grasp a future. They can't quite quite see past the edges of themselves or the place that they live in when it's so hard to exist there like yeah Yeah. you know that um exercise i think we've talked about it once before where like um george george saunders recommends it in a swim in the pond in the rain and i think we mentioned Mm -hmm. it in that episode where you read one sentence at a time and then when you get bored of that one paragraph at a time and you like summarize what you think is going to happen yeah, like based on that very little information. Yeah. If you had read only up to that third page where it says, where he like talks about everything he does is for other people's enjoyment and he, mm-hmm. if he's constantly destroying him, letting other people destroy him, they can't hate you completely. They have to at least interact with you. What would you think the story is about? Just based on if you had stopped there and had to guess at that point. I, I mean... It's hard to say that having the knowledge of the rest of the story, but, like, putting that in, like, that very clearly, like, shows that, like, this character is going to be debased at some point during the course of the story. Like, it just tells you that. Yeah. Like... Yeah. And I also think, like, it gave me no hope that he would get better. Like, if he doesn't value himself, like, his circumstances, he will not be improving his circumstances. So I knew, like, from that point, this was going to be an unraveling. Yeah, exactly. It's going to go from bad to worse, not from bad to better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I, I, I just, like, we, we've mentioned the dialogue a little bit, like, when you have that it's so fucking stupid line, like, I think that's 
where a lot of the characterization of making these people feel young comes from. Um, just like the the great scene when they're getting drunk, and um, you know that, and he starts telling stories about Seth, him and his mm-hmm. other uh, Freeman, uh, Seth are the two guys that are hanging out, are hanging out with him on uh, in the jacuzzi. Um, you know, and he says he, this moment on page three fifty four. I nudged Ephraim's elbow. Seth and I get fucking bad when we drink together. We don't need to talk about that, Seth said. Like two years back, we got this bum to buy us growlers. Fucking plowed through them shits like nothing. So quick we didn't even know we were wasted until we stood up. Like, whoa. We go outside, smoke some butts, and end up tossing half his dad's firewood into the road. Like, just that little paragraph of dialogue there, like, with the, like, whoa, like attempting to tell a story in a way so it sounds cool but it it sounds like nothing like you've given uh, the this isn't even a story that you're telling for the most part it, yeah, that, it's just this mm-hmm. nothing happened like he got drunk once and put some firewood in the road like Ex- that's all that happened but he's so excited to tell the story in a way that's like so animated yeah, just trying to make himself look cool, trying to, like, talk about how much of a badass he is, just that deep, deep place of insecurity, like we were talking about, like, that in, ends up being the, like, central thing in, in this story. I don't know. It, it just, it comes together so well, and, and I think the ultimate, the you know, the ultimatum of it is, you know, after this final paragraph in, in which they've, uh, all killed in which they've killed him um the, there's this moment at at this at the end um they'll leave loading into roy's car and setting off onto the highway dropping everyone at their respective homes they will sleep for the rest of the day wrapped in cotton cocoons while the ac flushes out the summer fever or maybe they won't sleep at all shivering replaying the night over and over sometimes giggling sometimes completely still like that like solid just conclusion to all of this of showing just the way that these moments become these formative memories for these characters and the way that these characters are entering like this horrible thing that they've done then becomes centralized into them in the way that only things that you do can be centralized into you when you're at that age mm-hmm. in the way that it becomes part of identity at the end like as it just kind of folds into them physically as they replay it over and over again in their minds at the end there i i just like that's a feeling that is just part of growing up like having those moments that just are those definitional actions and those definitional moments and i, I think it just captures that so well with that at the end but yeah yeah my read on that end, I really like your read. Um, mm-hmm. My read was slightly different. My interpretation was slightly mm-hmm. different. Um, I interpreted that moment as being about no matter, like, if you do things to impress your friends, you mm-hmm. are your own person at the end of the day, and you will be alone with your thoughts, and you have to own what you did, even if you think that it was because it's what your friends wanted you to do, or if you were just trying to entertain each other. So for me, the, like, punch was that, like, the image of these guys going from, like, egging each other on, having plotted, I don't know, ironically, killing the narrator, to being alone, unable to sleep, sometimes completely still replaying these memories. Um, So for me, it was about, like, 
there as lonely and could be as self-hating as the narrator was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I, I think that will, is absolutely true as well. Like, I, I think that is fully what's going on there, too, because it, it, it just, yeah, because con- it's in that moment that they're finally alone right there's no one there left to impress there's only the action that they did that they have to contend with at that point like Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah uh that that is i think the main thing i wanted to talk about with this with just that exploration of youth there is there anything else that you wanted to bring up in this um yes i like underlined some stuff Mm -hmm. um so one of the things I underlined, actually a quote that you read, read out loud earlier, um, when, like, that right before he is, like, trying to tell in a very entertaining way this, like, nothing story about some one time that he and Seth hung out. Um, mm-hmm. Just before all that happens, he narrates, um, like, they're getting drunk in the jacuzzi, ironically. By the way, they're naked in the jacuzzi. <laughs> and there's, like, a line about, like, we'll just lean away from each other so it's not yeah <laughs> um and he touches he, he touches his dick under the jets in the jacuzzi uh where no one can see and then um seth like right before our narrator says that tells that story seth looks down in a way and that i didn't on the first read interpret that as anything but then i later realized like that might I don't know how jacuzzis work, but like Seth might be realizing that the narrator is like kind of masturbating in this moment. Um, And I, for like on my second read, that was my interpretation of why Seth was like so dismissive of how the narrator is trying to tell this story in an entertaining way. And like this narrator is like working really hard to like align himself with Seth and Seth's working really hard to be like dismissive of him Yeah, because the narrator's crossed a line and like, gone too far cross the line into like how ironically gay we can be yeah yeah absolutely like yeah jeez yeah. I, I don't know like I, th- that is just a, a whole other part of this story I, I think that is worth e- even its own episode to discussing like the the repression and the homoeroticism between these characters like that's very explicit like that's not a like that that's just in the text but yeah yeah it, it, it's yeah. Yeah. The we should some of um, we got time in this up. So some of yeah. the parts that I noticed um, was like when Ephraim is doing the Roman soldier of putting his dick and balls on the narrator's um, face. Um, mm-hmm. The narrator's describing it in like such an like lovely way. <laughs> And as a lesbian, I was like, I don't, okay, <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> um, soft, yeah, loose it, flesh, it, like, gra- like a grandmother's throat, um, warmth like heaven, um, yeah. it, sticky fucking warmth on my face, um, yeah. he's just like, this is, this is not how I would react to these things, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah, he's... It's so reverent, yeah. Like, reverent, yeah, that's the word I'm looking yeah. for, totally. Yeah. Um, which is really, really... Um, just... He is has, like, completely 
destroyed everything that he actually wants and he's only willing to touch things that will make other people think that he's funny yeah and yeah yeah it's in his and is weirdly using it as a way to get something that he secretly wants in this moment. Like, he wants this moment of physical contact with Efreen. Like, and the way he describes Efreen throughout, uh, Efreen throughout is, um, you know, very much like this. Like, when he sees his legs and things like that, I remember he describes, I think it was Seth, he describes as being like a, a Frazetta cheesecake painting <laughs> at some point. Like, that just you know like very interested in these other men's bodies but completely unable to express that like yeah yeah totally um i think so i think that that's building like really successfully throughout and then i do um i know i mentioned it earlier but i think like he's so successful at building increasing the like kind of slurs that he's using and the kinds of things that they're finding funny to make them feel for me, make them feel, like, less and less safe to be around. So, like, they start the story by being, like, wouldn't it be funny if we got the jacuzzi room? And then right before the physical violence of the story, they're saying, like, wouldn't it be funny if you're having sex with a woman from behind and then you swap out with another man and then you walk around and then you wave to her from outside the window and she realizes that she's being fucked by someone who isn't who she consented to being fucked by. Um, Yeah. Like, the kinds of things that they find funny, like, really escalate in implied violence. And then um, our narrator is noticing this and not noticing it as a problem as it's going. So on, I don't have the page number handy, but he refers to um, Ephraim as having rapist eyes at one point. And, like, he notices this, but doesn't express any fear around it. Um, like everything is a joke there's no threat of consequence against him is like how I would interpret that worldview like he's he thinks that these like violent things can be funny without realizing that he could be the victim of them yeah yeah exactly Like, like there's the moment on page 359 where he's like Ephraim stopped and squeezed my soldiers those enormous Neanderthal hands like he could yank my flesh right off the muscle his mouth a circle and oh a perfect round void punched through his face eyes wild like when I first told him about the jacuzzi room like that just you know that that increasing tension and and here I realize at the end of this little section like after um, the narrator says let me piss first I slipped out of Ephraim's hands and into the bathroom um my piss sputter toxic orange into the pristine pool so dehydrated through the walls i could hear them all talking then laughing someone ephraim hushing them then bad stage whispers laughing again and like that's them planning the violence yeah that's them deciding that this is going to be what happens like yeah yeah and our narrator just came up on realizing that when he's describing ephraim as being like like he could yank my flesh right off the muscles like He's right up on realizing what he should actually have fear about, and instead he's having fear about his self-insecurity, about being liked enough. And in reality, he should... By these people, yeah. Yeah, by these people. And and in reality, what he should be afraid of, and it doesn't occur to him to be afraid of, is the threat of violence from these people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that these people clearly do not have his interests at heart. 
because they never have because he's never been able to surround himself with people that would like he only thinks he deserves to be around people that might want to hurt him to a certain extent like that that's what what he's made for himself through this insecurity not out of a deserving way or anything like that i just want to make it clear that that's not what i'm stating but through a way of like just the inevitability of this of like where how your self-hatred leads you down paths that are externally bad not just internally bad like Mm -hmm. um, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i um, am it's really good i've been reading yeah um i've been finally reading bell hooks sorry this is a hell of a right turn from no i love it (laughs) from like very immature male specific violence um I've been finally reading um, All About Love by Bell Hooks, which mm-hmm. I really recommend, and it is my recommendation of the week, and I'll reiterate this in a minute. And oh. there's a part about it that I like had to noodle on for a couple of weeks, um, which was that if you don't like yourself, if you don't like your own company, you'll use other people as an escape from yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So instead of like actually forming friendships and relationships that matter to you and that like build you and help you become a self-actualized better version of yourself you'll just spend all of your time with anyone who will help you not be physically alone um with with yourself and yeah that's that's this narrator you know like he's not he's not interested in becoming he's not attempting to become a better self-actualized version of himself like he's just desperate to be around anyone who doesn't completely hate him at all times yeah yeah like it's exactly that yeah and then you know and the work kind of the the even like further like adding insult to injury of, of this literal ending is in this moment uh on that last page They stand there, heaving, inhaling the mist, the reek of mold and piss and shit and brains. They huddle over my body. They hug and they laugh. Like, they're suddenly able to engage physically with one another in a meaningful way after Mm -hmm. they've removed him from the equation. They're able to give each other the things that he had only wanted from them, but because of his, like, making himself into an object to them, essentially, like, he's never able to attain. Like, yeah. It's yeah. just, it's sad. It's a really sad story. Like, yeah. Yeah. Also, by the way, like I can't resist saying, the intricate rituals that some men go through in order to touch each other is just like... Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It, it's insane, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think... So, so I, I don't think that we can talk about this story and not talk about the craft choice of having it being narrated by someone who dies um mm-hmm. during yeah. the course of the story so yeah. um can you he he dies on the final page well i i would yeah. he probably stopped really being alive on the second to last like this violence yeah. goes on for quite a while which and by the way it is paced very well Barry yeah. does really good pacing um yeah but uh yeah he he's like officially for sure a puddle of brain goo by the end um yeah and what do you think about it being narrated by someone who is, like, not living by the end? Uh, it's such an interesting, like, space for it to be in, right? Because, like, the entire time you're reading this, you're getting this past tense narration. So you, 
you assume that the character up until that moment you assume that the character is like in an unspoken of future of some sort like mm-hmm. and that would imply that they're still living um but having this being from this perspective of death like i i don't know it kind of like situates him as that ultimate outsider looking in right like he's not even there to participate in his own story anymore it's suddenly he is relegated outside of it after he dies and the story ends without him like the actual conclusion is for all the other characters not for him they're the ones that will remember this forever Mm -hmm. not him yeah Yeah. i mean what do you think yeah that makes sense for the stated character motivation of being all about everybody else's enjoyment like even Mm -hmm. the story about his death is not does not end in him it ends in his friends Mm -hmm. and he never prioritized himself never worried about his own well-being only did things for his friends enjoyment and then in the end his death was for their enjoyment and their growth not his yeah yeah Mm. yeah Yeah. it's it's a cool story yeah how does Um, it fit into the rest of the collection um it's a big it's a big left turn and it's oh, kind really? of the reason why I chose it. Uh, the the rest of the collection is very good. Like it's it, even saying it. I say it's a big left turn, but it's a big left turn in a collection that is made up entirely of left turns. It feels like at times. This is a fascinating book. Um, I don't know if I sent you the title page with the illustration that that it has um, of but, the Roman soldier. Yeah, because it has, like, this picture of the helmet and stuff, and every yeah. story in the book has a different image at the front of it. There's a really cool story in there that feels kind of like it's um, it very much like him doing more Pearl Death stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, it's very much inspired by that, but trying to give that maybe a little more narrative than those cards necessarily had on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... It's got some stuff that you would definitely call just more traditional horror stories, for sure. Um, It does a really cool thing where you don't get the uh, table of contents until page 61. Um, You get, like, there's three pages, there's, like, three or four stories before it, and then you get the title page. Why? Which is neat. Yeah. Why? Um, Yeah, just, just to be cool. It's just interesting. It, it makes it feel a little more like a movie, like you know, like you're getting the credit, the opening credit sequences, and then boom, title card after being there for a little while. Like, yeah, who are those? The Cohen brothers. Their title cards are always so deep into their movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's very much like that. There's, there, there's, yeah, like I said, there's some that are much more traditional horror stories about monsters or ghosts. There are other ones that are a lot more surreal. Um, the, um, the, the one that I was thinking of that's kind of more like Pearl Death is, uh, In the Shadow of Penis House, which <laughs> there's some stuff that's very funny in here. It, it's, it, it's just a really good collection. Like, B.R. Yeager stays winning. Um, and it, I haven't read a ton of what has come out this year, I will say, but of the stuff that I've come out, that has come out this year, this is my favorite book that I've read from 2023 so far. Like, Top Rec, because I finally ordered it, and it'll be in this week. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing. Hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Tell me what you think. I'm very excited. Like, that's, that's really cool. Good. <laughs> Pumped. 
Yeah, I know. I don't know if you expected me to turn around, I, read a book I about male genitalia uh, and male violence, and then turn around yeah. and say, "Let me order that book." But I, I am ordering that book. <laughs> oh, hell yeah! Dude. <laughs> what did you think? I, I was think you're gonna like it. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't know what you react. I thought you would like this story. I, yeah. I did think, like, what, when I read this, because it's just, like, it's just a well-done story. Like, yeah. it clearly has a lot going on and, and is, like, very much comes from a deep place. Uh, so I, I wasn't too worried about it. Like, and, and also because all the violence is saved for the end, I know that you, you're you not the biggest fan of, like, a lot of Gore. violence and stuff. That's not not what you're going for, which fair. Um, there's only a few stories in here that get that way. A lot of it's more just, like, dread of violence and, and like, cool. fear is much more the basis for that, but rather than being direct like that. But, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a great collection. I, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Wait, Ben, if you were to turn this into mm-hmm. a writing exercise... Uh, yes. What... Would you? What assignment are you giving our readers for this week slash month slash? I don't know. We're trying. We're back. <laughs> yeah, the amount of time. Um, we we stay back. Um, I I would say <laughs> um, I, I would say like what I was thinking about in this is to really because what I think makes this so palpable is that it seems to be an evaluation, and maybe even sort of cathartic letting go of an insecurity like for the person writing it more so than Mm. for the characters themselves like for an examination like clearly this is like made with a 360 degree and understanding of what this like what these feelings are rather Mm -hmm. than someone who's trying to like you know write grapple with them it's someone who's coming away from them and on the other side of them um as much as one can be um I, i would say that it is worth trying to take a memory uh, an embarrassing memory something that you are not proud of from your life and trying to use that feeling as a jumping off point for writing something yeah um, the worst version yeah. of yourself yeah exactly yeah mm. and, and then maybe trying to understand why that person was the way that they were and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they get better in the story but if nothing else, it can help you understand yourself better and help you maybe forgive something that you didn't know if you could or not. Like, B.R. Yeager, you didn't even know it, but now we're psychoanalyzing you, my guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's so... I think that's really good. I also think, like, this narrator doesn't get better. He's still a piece of shit, but I am, like, empathetic yeah. about him. Um, yeah. Or to- and towards him. So... Exactly. Yeah. You can be as mean to that version of yourself as you need to, and also be very mm-hmm. empathetic to that person elsewhere. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I like that. and and I think this like I remember when we were talking about Philip Roth uh, at some point we uh, um, we brought up the idea of the the narrator that is just a bad person and like r- people writing that people that are just bad people mm-hmm. and. I think maybe this is a way to do that that is more empathetic and sympathetic because I think a lot of times when people do that, they write the narrator as a bad person and try to understand why that person would be that way in a way that is not like, and the character is not self-critical, even if the writer is, Mm -hmm. whereas like this feels very much like the writer is writing in 
relation to a way that is actually self-critical of this character like there, there is understanding and, and he, he grates up against himself in ways that those characters don't sometimes and maybe trying to do something like that of when we're trying to write dislikable people it, it, it's okay for them to be in judgment of themselves for their mm. dislikability like mm. yeah yeah I mean you we through the through being literary readers have read a lot of writing about just unlikable people um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah this felt different it just felt so much fuller and more empathetic and self-aware than usual um but also like your unlikable person does not need to be punished to this degree for their unlikability like to still be a good character i yeah 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 Mm. absolutely cool yeah so You've mentioned the thing that you like this week. Do you want to go any deeper onto the Bell Hooks piece? I yeah. really do. Yeah. yeah I please. For the first time in this podcast, I have my recommendation of the week ready to go. Um, <laughs> maybe the first time, I should say. Yeah, my recommendation of the week is All About Love by Bell Hooks, which I'm sure you many of you have heard about before. Um, it's a thinker. I uh, was on a camping trip recently and read part of the ebook out loud to my friends around a campfire. So now that's my one of my favorite memories of all time. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just can't stop freaking talking about it. Like it's <laughs> I keep bringing this into stuff. <laughs> um, All About Love by Bell Hooks is really changing how I see things. Um, one thing that I love about it that I'm going to spin and make relevant to writing, if you'll bear with me for a moment. Um, she quotes... Uh, Rilke, the poet, um, about, Rilke says this less efficiently, um, love is mutual recognition, like you see each other as you really are. And Bell Hooks then talks about um, the usual approach to like dating is you try to put your best self forward and then over, oh, you put in this up this really attractive the version of yourself that you think they will like. And then over a ser- period of time, you can't keep up a facade for forever. And people feel disappointed to find out that this person isn't who they thought they were and that's uh, wrong of you to have frankly misled them about who you are Um, and um, I just really like that you know um, in things outside of dating too like I think you should filter more efficiently be your own self within reason and um, let people decide if that's something that they want to invest in or not and I think that's true in like professional settings and writing settings too, like to be your own self and to let your writing be its own self from the very beginning and not try to, you know, you're not going to sustain writing an entire novel that's the version of a novel that you think somebody, the publisher wants to read or that mainstreamer wants to read. You need to write the version of a story that is the authentic version of how you would write that story and um, it'll find the right home when it finds the right home. Anyway, that's my recommendation of the week, All About Love by Bell Hooks. Absolutely. Have you read it? Yeah. No, I haven't. Bell Hooks is one of those gaps that I also like. I I see the Bell Hooks books that we have at the bookstore, and I'm like, should I? I probably should. You should. Not quite yet, but I should, yeah. You should. It's something. (laughs) Okay. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely been interested in her and a writer. And, like, I mean, I've read in school like read excerpts from things and you know yeah i think it's here and there like yeah i think we read a little bit from teaching out from of transgression um yeah and but yeah 
yeah, all about love is, it's a thinker. It'll get you. Yeah. You'll be noodling. Cool. cool. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, I actually have two little things. Um, not really little things, but two things for this week because I, I think they're worth mentioning. Um, first one is a video game called um, Hard Space Shipbreaker. Um, I don't know if anyone has heard of that. It's available on PC, and I know it's on PlayStation, and I you might be able to get it on Xbox as well. I don't think it's on the Switch, but I'm not. I might be wrong about that. And this is a game that is in the genre of um, what have sometimes been termed as quote boring games <laughs> is a term that I've used to uh, that I've heard to describe this and. What that means is that these are games that are very slow and meditative and don't really have, like, a very big fail state. This one has a little bit more on that count, but the fail state's not very hard. Um, the games in this genre also include things like Power Wash Simulator, if you've ever heard with that, where you uh, just power wash things very calmly <laughs> for as long as it takes. Um, but in this game... You are in space in like a fully 3D space environment and you are a, sh a starship shipbreaker. You're breaking down these big starships and like putting their pieces that you break off into either furnaces or refinement centers to get back the value that they have. And it's just this very slow paced thing where you slowly dismantle these really huge objects into their constituous parts and then sort those into the correct places. Oh, it's really nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's really good. You have, you know, you have your cutting tool and you have your gravity your uh, gravity hook so you use your cutting tool to slice things apart, gravity hook to carry them around, and everything has very realistic weight. Everything like if you try to pull on something that's too heavy with your like gravity gun, it pulls you towards it kind of thing. <laughs> you and and in this is where there's a little bit more fail state. Like, your guy can die. Like, if you accidentally, like, say you're trying to remove a power core from a ship and you accidentally cut it for too long and it heats up too much, it will explode and kill you and you'll lose all the money that you were going to make off of that ship. But it's fine. You have clones that it just spits out and you got your new guy and you can go back and try again with a different <laughs> ship. So it's not really a big deal. There are, like, modes in the game that are more hardcore. Like, you can play a version where you only have 30 revives or one where you only have one life alone kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's interesting on that front. But, yeah, really good. That, and I just today started um, the book Bandit, uh, Daughter's Memoir by Molly Brodak, um, which is a memoir that uh, Molly Brodak wrote about her father who robbed like a series of seven banks when she was 14 years old. Wow. Uh, Molly Brodak the, uh, uh, tragically passed in 2020, but she was a poet. It uh, was her primary writing. She had a few chapbooks that came out. And she was, also, um, she was also a baker. She won the American Baking Championship. Um, I didn't know we had that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was on Food Network, and so if you want to see this woman, she's right there on TV. Like, she won an entire season of this show. Um, but, yeah, it, it's very, you know, this book is amazing. I, it, I read the first hundred pages of it today. I just kind of sat down and fell into it. She writes beautifully. It's so deeply sad how, like, clearly she felt that she had to become an adult very quickly at, like, age 11 because of her parents weird relationship with each other and her trying to help her mother and, and trying to make 
she a lot of this is before the robberies even start what i read today and a big part of it is her talking about how because her father had a gambling addiction and because so much stuff was going wrong in the house all the time her parents were always fighting she thought that the best thing that she could do was to make herself as small and unseen as possible you know if they were fighting and they threw stuff around the house she'd clean everything up afterwards just very quietly without saying anything she would net try to like not bother anyone when she was doing anything just try to be keep to herself as much as possible and just be some source of peace in an otherwise tumultuous household and it's it's beautifully done the way she describes this and it's so sad that there's a moment when she's talking about like how we when we tell narratives like we think that they're we we're okay with sad stories because we believe that there'll be some deliverance through suffering but reality is grief doesn't have a purpose it's just grief and it just fucking sits there Ooh. like yeah like Ooh. It, it, it's terrible it, it, it's so harsh like Ooh. it's such a harsh view of reality yeah like it, it's she was an excellent writer and was you know uh seemingly a very good person who had a very difficult early life like yeah grief doesn't have a purpose yeah damn ben yeah. <laughs> Got me noodling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great book. It's really worth reading. Like, I, I haven't finished it, but I can tell you right now it's a 10 out of 10. So, yeah. Cool. I'll have to look into it. Yeah. After awesome. I pick up Burn You the Fuck Alive by B.R. Yeager, next on my list. Hell yeah. Hell yes. Very different reading experience. Very worth it. Uh, I'm glad about that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of the Good Writing Podcast. You can find us on Twitter sometimes, um, but Mm -hmm. most importantly, if you need us, you can email us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. No, goodwritingpod at gmail.com? Yes. Also, I have a plug. I need to plug a thing. Plug it. Um, Yes. So uh, the other thing that is happening, that is how you can contact us. I have started a literary magazine. Um, if you wish to submit to a literary magazine that, are, I, that I am the editor-in-chief of, it is Magazine One. You can find it online at magazine-the-number-one.com. That's not the spelled out, but just magazine-one, one. and yeah. one is the numeral. <laughs> yeah, dot com. Uh, find out we are open for submissions. Submissions are $5. Um, we are run out of the bookstore that I work for, uh, so it, we can't offer a proper payment but everyone that gets published will get a $40 gift card to our bookstore, which can be used either in person or online. Hey, um, that's like yeah, two, three so books. There is something. Exactly. There, there is something that, that you'll get if you if we, if we choose to publish you. Um, yeah, mention good writing in your bio and you'll get a sneak in. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That's it's, amazing, Ben. Do you know what the, yeah. how would you describe the taste? Uh, so I would describe the taste basically as we're at this point we're kind of looking for anything like I just want something <laughs> that's really solid and, and like well communicated. Um, it's not an experimental journal. I know that's where my taste runs on this podcast for sure, but I'm not asking for explicitly experimental work. If you have something like that that you want to submit, I'd be very excited to read it. But really, what what we want is just something with a solid foundation. Um, I'm looking for stuff that maybe sits a little stranger. You know, that's always going to catch my eye before anything else. 
I'm very open to literary forms of genre fiction. If you have something like that that you've been working on, anything magical realist is definitely going to appeal to both mm -hmm. myself and the other people at the store that are reading for us. Um, but yeah, ge generally that... Um, that's kind of the vibe we're going for. St stuff that... Um, maybe something that you haven't quite found a home for is what I've been tweeting about more recently. Stuff that you feel is good, that you personally feel has a lot of strength, but the places you've been sending it haven't been interested in. I'd really like to see how pe what people have it that fits into that folder because I think we all have a few of those stories or poems that we've written that we're not quite sure where they're supposed to go, but we know that there's something there. Like, and I, I would love to make this the place, the home for that. Like, yeah, I love it. I'm really excited. And yeah. um, endorsement of Ben. He's such a tender reader. And I would absolutely trust any magazine he's running with my work. Thank you, Emily. But yes, you should submit to Emily. Um, oh, but, okay, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do it. Um, <laughs> also, if you live in the Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete area, please submit to the West, For West Coast of Florida feature, just because that'll be a smaller submission pool. We have, I want to showcase local authors there, so that'd be great to have. Yeah. Amazing. Y'all on the West Coast yeah. of Florida, good luck out there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week, month. Have a good time. Until the next time. <laughs> Have a good time. Until the next time. Our famous sign-off. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>